Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome back to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we'll analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season or only one episode. Or, or a movie that was filmed before this podcast began, but came out like a year ago. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. Isn't it a shame when lies obscure the truth? Because, you know, lies do so many other things. That's, yeah, I I was going to wait until we got to that part of the movie, but I've been thinking about this line ever since we watched the movie. This, it's a shame when lies obscure the truth. That's like saying it's a shame when wars lead to fighting. It's like, yeah, that's that's what it is. You just defined it. You just, oh, oh. Oh, this movie. Okay. So today we are doing The King's Daughter, uh, which was released in January 2022 because it is Razima. What was that? You heard me. That one more time for the kids at home? Razima. <laughs> you tried. So, um, what are we? We're doing The King's Daughter. Yes. Um, so, uh,. Before we start, let's pour one out. Yes, what do you got there, Lara? Uh, Why don't you go first? Oh, I I have a magical mermaid. Okay. So I started with some blue Kool-Aid for water. (laughs) And then, uh, because whenever the uh, magical mermaid did magical stuff... There was like a yellow glow. Mm-hmm. So I poured in some liquor 43. Yeah. And it the effect is lost now because it sat for too long. Mm-hmm. But because the the liquor 43 was so viscous yeah. and the water was so thin, it didn't mix. Oh. So it kind of like floated around. I also threw in some sprinkles. Which yeah, I was it, wondering what was at the bottom of that. Which, it have all, nasty. which have all sunk to the bottom because they're sad. That's nothing special. Mine is the uh, the Gardens of Versailles. Okay. It is a... Um, champagne's a very charitable term for what I'm drinking. It is a sparkling rosé. Mm-hmm. Uh, garnished with a flower fruit snack that you didn't even really get to see because I promptly ate it. Oh, interesting. So, because uh, a lot of this takes place at the Palace of Versailles. Okay. Uh, and the gardens are very key in that. So I wanted to make something that had that little bit of Frenchness and that little bit of gardeny things, and then I ate the fruit snacks before we started recording. Mmm. Did you enjoy your fruit snacks? I did. All right, good. <laughs> I love fruit snacks. What will I not garnish with a fruit snack, honestly? So let's get into the king's daughter. Yeah. We start with text, which is my least favorite thing a movie can do: is start with reading. And there was not quite enough time to read it. No, it went away too quickly. It was really small font, so it was also hard to read. The only movie that can pull this off is Star Wars. And Star Wars gives you a significantly longer amount of time to read it. They also, like, they go out of their way to make the words 
so epic? Yeah. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Like, this is just like, here's some words. Because you know how in movies you're supposed to tell, not show? Yes. Here We're telling you. You mean, that you mean the important. opposite. They're supposed to show, not tell. I know, I'm being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> because this is a bad film. So, uh, we get a long text about Louis, King Louis the Fourteenth, And we also get, I, th- I think you may have missed this, we got that lame Disney wannabe storybook opening. Where the yes. book opens. And we hear a narrator. And I know how much you love narrators in film. I'm not a big fan of narrators in film. They and have to, They shouldn't. They can exist if they're a character in the movie. And it's Julie Andrews. Oh. So we're hitting tropes on tropes on tropes on tropes. Yeah. And we find out that the king has a daughter named Marie Joseph, who Mm. has been shipped off to a convent. Yes. For reasons. Yeah. Literally, we never find out why. Mm Mm-hmm. We are given maybe some kind of a reason. If, a little bit. If we had a reason, it was in text and too small to read. So the nuns are standing on the shore yelling at Marie Joseph, our yes. heroine, uh, because she likes swimming. Yes. So she's swimming in the sea. Now, when does this take place? Uh, 1684. 1684. Okay, so this is actually too early because this is an odd uh, take. Did you, by any chance, read The Witch of Blackbird Pond? Of course I did. A big part of that is the idea of a woman swimming is witchcraft. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I guess, like, this is more out of the ordinary than we would think that a woman is swimming. Also, she says something like, the sea calls me, and the nuns respond, It is Satan's voice which calls you to the unholy sea. Satan is calling you to the sea, which really changes your perspective of Moana. <laughs> but I thought the whole movie will be about her being now called... Now I'll know, to hell I'll go. <laughs> that was the best I could do on short notice. <laughs> I call you. <laughs> what can I say except you're hellbound? <laughs> Uh, so we are, no, we are not tired enough for this no, to be this recording. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why this recording went so rapidly off the rails. The the real like theme of this whole thing will be her relationship to water and the sea and being called to water and things like that. You'd think to open with it is Satan and never come back to that thought is so weird. Yeah. Like, this is the opening moment, and she's like, I'm called to the sea. And the response is, that's because it is Lucifer. And not really. (laughs) Like, it's just a weird choice. Uh, We then get Pierce Brosnan on a horse. (laughs) This killed me. Yeah. We cut to the king on a horse just giving like a speech like, I'm the king. He's returning from war in which they have been successful. Yeah. It's like, yes, we have returned. And then some guy jumps out of nowhere, shoots him in the chest, and Pierce Brosnan falls off the horse. It has been the greatest honor for me to stand beside each. 
And I cannot stop laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I kind of wanted credits to roll. And that was the whole movie. No, because if that had been the whole movie. So wait a minute. This took eight years? No, if that had been the whole movie, it would not have been up for Razzies. We would have all been like, okay, that's fun. And just the way it is shot, like, there's no, like, dramatic, you know, for the death of France, I slay thee. It's just... Guy with fun. It's Pierce Brosnan and talking, and all of a sudden it's like, ha bang! <laughs> it just didn't happen so fast. It was so funny. So, he also gets a very, very, very small amount of first aid and remounts the horse. Yeah, he shakes it off. Yeah. Was like, ah, I got better. Uh, but the idea is, this is the first time the king thought he could die. Yeah, and I was like, weren't you just at war, bro? He was at war. <laughs> it is a shame when war leads to people dying. Now we get a whole thing of them at sea. Because there's something about a mermaid can give you immortality. Because reasons. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so we, we see sailors going to get... Uh, this mermaid. And yeah. they get, they need a female. So they trap a mermaid and her spouse? Yes. And then throw the spouse back. Yes. Because they only need the female. Uh, what my note says right now, and, and now here's a third character you're supposed to care about for no reason. Really? Oh, I didn't even get that I was supposed to care about... Well, because it's it's literally like, here's a girl swimming, cut to Pierce Brosnan on a horse, horse getting shot, cut to Captain Eve on a boat. And I was just like, do any of these characters have qualities I didn't that even I realize, would like, like them or something? I didn't even realize we were supposed to care about the captain at this point. Oh, no, they definitely are like, the, the narrator says something along the lines of, and then there was Captain Eve. Like, it's definitely made clear that, like, we're cutting to this because this person is important. Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, they they catch a mermaid. They catch a mermaid couple. And they're like, ah, we don't need this dude. And they throw him back in the water. Yeah, so they only have her. Yes. And then uh, we see the priest, whose name I never get. No, I just called him the priest. So, his name... He's played by William Hurt. It's William Hurt's last released role. Really? Yeah, Père Lachaise. Because I'm going to be honest. He's pretty good at this movie. He is. Uh, Père Lachaise, which means uh, father the chair. Father the chair. Uh, Let's go with the priest. Let's just... (laughs) No, let's call him the chair. (laughs) Like, I'm right, right? My... Because through most of this movie, it just kind of sits there. Yes, it's the chair. Okay. <laughs> I, I, it seemed so stupid that I thought I had it wrong. So I was like, wait, let me check. So Father the Chair. Father the Chair. Goes to the convent because he has been sent to retrieve Marie-Joseph. Yes. And she has prodigious musical talent. Yes, that's important. And she is been requested to play for the king. And so she is in her tower room. She's literally a princess in a tower. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because the only thing this movie really knows how to do is uh, trawl TV tropes and put them in in any order. So she's like super irritated because she wants to be in the ocean. You, I have this line. I believe this is when uh, she's leaving the convent. Mm-hmm. The nun's reaction to it is... Where am I going? To a lavish and glimmering hell. Where you will no doubt thrive. What is up with these nuns? <laughs> I mean, they are strict 17th century nuns. Yeah, but still, like... They don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> they they keep her like they know I think they know about her parentage and are keeping her because they have to but they make no secret of the fact that they are happy to be rid of her she's a giant mm. pain in the ass yeah it's just it's so strange uh so she's being brought in at this point we're we're as the audience we already know this is the king's daughter yes so she's brought under the pretense is that it's because she's a great musician, not because she is the king's daughter. Uh, and she gets, like, a nice little balcony suite <laughs> to live in. She's in- also introduced to Magali. Yes. Magali, excuse me. Magali. Um, who is a young, her young servant. Yes. And uh, she's not in the chateau yet. She's, like, in another part of the compound of Versailles, but she's not in the main palace. And she shows, uh, she's like, why is everyone staring at me? And she's like, oh, because you're dressed very plainly. Color and bravado are the order of the day. Mm -hmm. Kind of signaling the idea of like the dangerous court, that court is excess. And Marie Joseph is not really inclined to excess. No. And we get a cutaway of Louis XIV being irritated by the boring classical music that apparently awakes him every morning. Like, every yeah. morning at a certain time, there's classical music to waken him. Yeah. And Magali shows Marie Joseph to a drab little room. And to Marie Joseph, though, it's palatial. She's yeah. like, this is great! And we find out all women's doors face east. So in the morning, they can be kissed by the king. Because yeah. he's the sun king. Oh. Sunlight is a big motif with this king. Mm-hmm. And... So, they don't mean literally kissed by the king. They mean just beams of sunlight will yes, their face. Okay. Because they face east. Gotcha. All right. All right. Just clarifying. And so there's a comment then about Marie-Joseph not knowing her parentage. And Magali asks, were you taken from your parents like I was from mine? It's important to notice here... That Magali's a woman of color. Yeah. And I I have a note here of another trope giving Marie Joseph a woman of color as a best friend to show her as progressive and good. Yeah. Because this is clearly an allusion to slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. And she and Marie Joseph, like, giggle together. And it's such a way to show that Marie Joseph is not like the rest of court. She's not like most girls. Uh, It... It's another trope shorthand. Instead yeah. of actually so showing Marie-Joseph Having doing Having qualities. <laughs> so then a young man uh, comes to the king, and we find out that his father is at death's door, and he and his father are loaded! Mm-hmm. Like, so much money. 
And he offers a gift to the king, and it's a blingy cross. Yes. Like, it's tacky. Yeah, a tacky, blingy cross. And his response is, I hate birthdays. They remind me of mortality. Because he's getting a year older. Yeah. And he's now obsessed with the fact that he's going to die soon. And then he just gives the cross to Father Chair. Yes. Just like, ah, I, I don't want this crap. <laughs> Which, like, Father Chair and this guy will have scenes together later. Yes. So there has to be a moment where he's like, didn't I give that to the king? Yep. And he just get all right, well. I mean. Fine. It's probably a big mark of honor to be worn by the king's priest. Still. Like, it's still a status. So we, uh, we find out that the young man's father is a duke, mm-hmm. and he's worried about, like, the dukedom dying out for some reason, uh, and King Louis Fourteenth assures him that, like, the Duchy of Lintiac will be intact. I will name you duke at my ceremony during the eclipse. Yes. Because during the eclipse is when they're going to murder the mermaid, make him immortal, and... Lintiac is going to now be crowned yeah. Duke. So, a few things I want to mention here. One, for something that has to happen at during an eclipse, this killing of a mermaid to make him uh, immortal. Double booking yourself seems like a bold choice. Oh, he'll book a bunch of other stuff, too! Oh, I know. <laughs> that are going to have to happen at that moment, which is dumb. Two, I can find nothing in the brief research that I did that there's any sort of mythology around mermaids and eclipses. No. So this is purely invented for this movie. For the book it was based on. Right, right. For for this story. Yes. Excuse me. For this story. But since it is not like something that I'm used to hearing, like when you're told like, you know, Leave out milk and cookies for Santa. We know that mythology. When the mythology is something like kill a mermaid during an eclipse to earn immortality, it's such a new legend that my first thought is that ain't true. Why do we believe this? We're not really given much information on why that's what he thinks is going to happen either. I... I literally thought because, and this is something that we're going to, I need to bring up now because it's going to be something that colors my notes. Mm -hmm. There is this doctor that is telling the king this. Yeah. And then there's this Duke character. (laughs) I was a hundred percent sure they were the same person. Because I thought it was a matter of you are helping me become immortal. I am making you a duke. And other stuff that will come up later. And that's not the case. So it made sense to me that the king went to someone and was like, I want to become immortal. Can you help me? And someone went, oh, totally. Uh, All you got to do is get a mermaid and kill her during an eclipse. And then like a few months go by and the king's like, hey, you know that eclipse that's coming in like three months? I got the mermaid. And the guy's like, what? What do you mean you found a mermaid? Oh, oh, damn it. Oh, uh, did you get the magic beans as well? Because you need those. 
and there has to be a griffin nearby. <laughs> Don't forget that. So, uh, yeah, so the Duke and the Doctor are different people. Believe it or not, in actual critiques of the movie, their similarity comes up. Yeah, like they're dressed similarly. It's not a good. They've look. got similar, like they have very similar feature features. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is the actor who plays Will from the Divergent series, Ben Lloyd Hughes. Okay. And the other is Pablo Shriver, who is best known as playing the character Pornstash from Orange Is the New Black. Cool. So, uh, they're they're both. They're so similar looking and they're styled mm-hmm. to look extremely similar. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really difficult to tell them apart. You kind of need to know the context of the scene mm-hmm. to realize they are different men. Yeah. So, uh, Marie Joseph and Magali are walking around the gardens of Versailles mm-hmm. and everyone's kind of staring at Marie Joseph and Magali points out like you were brought here by the king. Mm hmm. That makes you a big deal. People are curious about you. Who is this convent girl that was important enough for the king to bring her here personally? And so they're looking at the fountains, and Marie Joseph is particularly transfixed by this one statue in one of the fountains of a woman. And the king and his king's guard ride by. So Marie Joseph then slips and falls into the fountain. Yeah. And then the Duke of Lintiac, or the Duke to be, I guess demounts his horse, and helps Magali haul Marie-Joseph gracelessly out of the water. Yes. Like, it's not a meet-cute. It's Mm. not romantic. He is hauling her like you'd haul a three-year-old out of a fountain at the mall. Yes. Like, come on. Like, by her armpits. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. What did we tell you about this? And then uh, she awkwardly curtsies to the king, because this is the first time she's been in his presence, and now Mm -hmm. she's like, crap. Uh, Father the chair tells her to smile and she gives this awkward, like, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it, like, Might we remove that shock from your face and offer a smile? I hate Big Bang Theory, but when they tell Sheldon to smile, his, like, awkward joker smile. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, no, no teeth are shown in the smile. <laughs> it's, it's clearly an I'm nervous and I've been told to smile smile. Yeah. And the king comes up to her and drapes her in his cloak and is very charming to her. And said, like... That statue is of a woman who has caused many to lose their balance. Although, mostly men. And I then wrote the note, the king called me a lesbian today. Now, I think, I think what we are supposed to get from this... Is that's her mother? It is her mother. We All right. Her. Yes. I figured out a thing. We actually do find out that it is her mother later. Yes. So then they find out her room has been moved, like a hotel. She's been upgraded. Mm-hmm. And now she's in the chateau. She's yes. leveled up. Mm-hmm. And flowers and instruments await them in the chateau. All of these beautiful instruments, a harp and a violin. But Marie Joseph favors the cello. Yes. Big awkward cello. And Magali has now been promoted to be Marie Joseph's lady in waiting, mm-hmm. which is a, it's still a servantile position, mm-hmm. but it's really like, if you have to be a servant, yeah, being someone's lady, 
you you enjoy you know good accommodations yeah. you're always fed well you're always dressed well mm-hmm. so like she's on retainer to be next to her at a moment's notice yes it, she's her Megan yes we just saw Megan <laughs> she's like her built-in best friend chaperone yes confidant servant yes So, Captain Eves is hanging out in this beautiful underwater lagoon. Yes. Or, excuse me, underground lagoon. Yes, yeah. Underwater dirt. He would drown. <laughs> uh, this beautiful underground lagoon. Yes. And the, he's watching over the mermaid, who is sad. It's a sad mermaid. So, she just stays near the bottom because she's sad because she got kidnapped. So... She's despondent, and Eves is kind of like, you know, this does suck for her. Yeah, this Do you guys is, get that? Yeah, this is kind of crappy what we're doing, right? And he's being blackmailed because he needs a royal pardon, though we do not yet know for what. No. So if this whole thing goes off without a hitch, he is going to receive a royal pardon, and will face no, uh, no consequences for whatever crime he supposedly committed. So, Marie Joseph is in her room at night, and she hears something, she hears music, and she follows the music to where the mermaid is underground. And she and the mermaid have a momentary connection, and Captain Eves catches her. Yes. I want to really point out the fact that She's in her room, she hears something, and carries a cello across the, like, the landscape, and then crawls into a cave with a cello. Yes, as one does. (laughs) It's like, oh, I better bring my cello. So she hears the mermaid as music. And the next morning, she brings sheet music. To the rest of the string quartet that we've never seen before in our lives. Mm-hmm. And she, well, it's the string cornet, cor, uh, quartet that wakes up the king. Yeah, but they, we've never seen them rehearse or anything. And no. they, they play this piece perfectly on sight. Yeah. With no practice. And it sounds like the mermaid's song. Yes. And so this brilliant musical mind plagiarizes music from a mermaid and does not cite the mermaid as an artist. How dare she? She's the villain of this film. I I think she does legitimately credit the mermaid. I'm busy doing an upset bit, and you're really kind of harping my vibe here. Okay. How dare she? How dare she? She's like an AI who just steals from other artists and claims them as their own. Are you done your factually inaccurate rant? Yes. So the king wakes up and he loves it. He says it sounds melancholy, probably because it's from a, in, you know, <laughs> from an imprisoned, imprisoned mermaid. depressed mermaid. And he loves it. And then she's also confiding in Magali about how, like, you know, she's trying to capture the mermaid's song. Like, literally says, like, I want I want it to sound like her. I want it to be her. Mm-hmm. I want her to share her music. Like, crediting the mermaid up, down, and sideways. Um, just, just, move, just move on. <laughs> and then she's... You, you went off on your rant for, 
like 30 seconds it, off. It's my job to do the bits and it's your job to do the research. <laughs> yeah, but the bits should be accurate. <laughs> so anyway, she confides in Magali in a dress that looks way too modern. Yes. You see the zipper. You can clearly see the zipper. Like, it is clearly like an off-the-rack dress. Mm-hmm. When was the zipper invented? Uh, it seems like it was invented in 1892. Okay, so... A full 200 years after yeah. this film. <laughs> Fantastic. But, like, it is clearly like an off-the-rack... I mean, I'm saying Forever 21, but it's, like, clearly just an off-the-rack dress. Yeah. And Magali also helps uh, put some makeup on her. And she hates... It's this very classic, like, it's court makeup. Hmm. And she's like, I, I hate this. And she's like, that's how the women will look. And she goes, I maybe I'd rather look like the men. And she goes, that's a, how a lot of the men will look. Ha <laughs> ha, wackity smackity doo. So they get to this court ball. And everyone turns to stare. Because, of course, Marie Joseph is prettier in her no makeup look. Yes. Which you know is, like, troweled on. It's a lot of makeup. Because... I, I always love the trope of she's not wearing any makeup at all. And she is wearing more makeup, guaranteed, than I am wearing on my, like, most dolled up. Mm-hmm. And also, if you know much about makeup, you can kind of tell the other women are intentionally painted to be somewhat unflattering. Yeah. This is a trick period pieces really like to pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to talk about Pride and Prejudice here for a second. Okay. Uh, something that these movies and shows like to pull is they make sure the heroine is incredibly attractive by contemporary standards, mm. not by the standards of the period in which they would have been in. Mm. So, yes, we think that everyone in court looks silly because Marie Joseph is what we're used to seeing a beautiful woman look like. Gotcha. Uh, this is done in Pride and Prejudice very commonly. By Jane, who's supposed to be the most attractive sister, Mm -hmm. being the most beautiful by Regency standards. Okay. And Elizabeth being the most beautiful by contemporary standards. Yeah, all right, interesting. So uh, this was done, I want to say, in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice of, like, Rosamund Pike, who plays Jane, is definitely, is always incredibly beautiful, but she's also made very beautiful for the standard of the time period. Mm-hmm. And Kira Knightley was like the it girl at that point. So, uh, and Marie Joseph is clearly styled as, uh, we have Elizabeth Swan at home. Yeah. I know you're not a big fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but Lord, does this movie want to be the son of. Oh, for sure. Th- this movie wants to take the mantle of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies so bad. It is clipping notes right and left from On Stranger Tides. Mm. Uh, right down to there being mermaids and mermaids being a major plot point. Gotcha. So, I have the note of the doctor excuses himself to meet with the king and Marie Joseph. Wait, no, my bad. It's the Duke. Yeah, it's very confusing. So, the Duke asks Marie Joseph to dance, and she does not know how. Yes. She was never taught at the convent. There'd be no reason for her to learn court mm-hmm. dancing. So the king offers to teach her and says, like, minuet three-quarter time. Again, making it look very odd that this young woman, who nobody knows where she's from, mm-hmm. has this much of the king's immediate attention. Yes. 
So this is a weird inverse dramatic irony Mm -hmm. that we know that this is actually kind of a sweet moment. Yeah. She is a little girl being taught by her father to dance. Yes. It's quite sweet with that context. I really liked this scene. Yeah. And it like, it's, it's a bit of a lengthy scene of them just dancing and just Pierce Brosnan very like, Lightly saying, like, now spin to me, good, now kick, and kick, and follow me. And, like, this way that it it makes... This is the first time I like a character, I think. Because we see the king kind of taking care of someone else. Yes. Like, he's making sure that she looks good and all this other stuff. And... I, me and Laura definitely had a moment where we're like, this is really nice, and I like the irony of it. They're not going to get romantically involved, are they? Because that's, that's what this kind of feels like, and I'm not here for this. Don't well, I, 12 minutes me. I didn't think this was going to be romantic involvement. I was more thinking of, that's going to be the rest of what court thinks. Right, right. Because if you are in court... And you're watching the king take interest in this peculiar teenage girl. Yeah. In 1684. Yeah. That's a bride. Yeah, look at DiCaprio over here. Yeah, I mean, this was a very, very common thing in the time period. Mm-hmm. Was middle-aged men taking on a wife who was in her teens. So... For a moment, the king is dancing with her and then sees a flash of a different woman. Yes. Someone we can clearly infer to be Marie-Joseph's mother. Yes. And, like, we're meant to believe that he truly loved his, his wife, if, there were, if that was his wife or if it was just a fling. Because this is something we have not really talked about. Every morning, the king wakes up and confesses sins to the priest. Yes. And the sin is usually, or is always, that he had sex with someone. But he also is never really sure who it was. Yes. And I think we're supposed to think, ah, it's fun and cheeky because the king's the king and he's getting laid, but he's apologizing for it. Yeah. But he's using religion as a weapon here. Which is actually foreshadowing the future. Um, Yeah, there's some good stuff in this movie, actually. (laughs) I'm looking at this. There's a moment where everyone's watching the fireworks and the king is watching Marie-Joseph watch them. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice little moment. He's watching his daughter. Yeah. Like, if you know what we know, that she's his daughter, there's a lot of sweetness here in these moments. Mm -hmm. Of, you know, oh, she looks like her mother and it's sweet. And... He has not done anything untoward toward her in any way. Mm-hmm. Everything has been very sweet and paternal. So later that night, Marie-Joseph is back down in the underground mm-hmm. lagoon with her feet in the water, and she's talking to the mermaid. And then Eves catches her down there again. And she's like, she's still depressed, and he's like, she told me to tell you to stop feeding her dead fish. <laughs> and they're like, He's like, you understand her? And she's like, yeah. Do you not? Like, what? Like, it's hard? Yeah. And I would love to know more about why she understands the mermaid. 
But it seems like the mermaid is understood when she wishes to be because she does speak to Eves later. Yeah. So the next day in the gardens, it's the king painting and Marie-Joseph finds him painting the last woman who shared this place in the garden with him. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact that, like you inferred earlier, he gets around, he has not taken women to this spot. And Marie-Joseph is the first woman who has been to this spot with him since Louise. And he says, no one reminded me of her until you. And this is, again, Marie-Joseph's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh and then he talks about Marie-Joseph's childhood. He said, like, you like spiders, which is strange because one bit you and, you know, your leg swelled up. And she's like, there's no way you could know that. Yeah. And he goes, like, I'm the king. I know a lot of things. So we get the understanding that the nuns have been corresponding with the king. Yeah. Her whole life. And he draws a portrait of her. Mm-hmm. So we then get word that Lantioc, the duke's father, has passed and that he will be the duke at the solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. And they have a dinner in his honor. And Marie-Joseph is seated with him. I really don't like this scene. No, it's such a pee-pee measuring contest. Yeah. So what happens is our sailor friend, Eve, his best friend slash first mate, is telling a story about barracudas and how they had to like, how they would like rip them to shreds if they didn't do something. So they ran away. And then the Duke is like, oh, you ran away like a coward. It's like, well, no, it's, it's so we didn't die. It's like any time there's, there's a beast and you don't kill it, you are a loser. <laughs> and it just gets heated and heated. And the King's like, all right, Knock it off. Y'all chill. And the Duke's like, I'm sorry. And then the scene ends. This told me a few things. One, I think this first mate character was a character. Yes. (laughs) Like, I'm sure he had some sort of plot going on. We will see him one more time and imply that we're supposed to care about him and, like, know his name. Yes. And I have a note. Eves looks like Pedro Pascal mated with Liam Neeson in the scene. He's got, like, Qui-Gon Jinn hair over a Pedro Pascal face. Uh, The other thing about it is this made a lot of sense to me as a scene when the Duke and the Doctor are the same person. Yeah. And he's going to be killing a mermaid later. Yes. And this kind of dick measuring, I'm going to kill a mermaid, you can't kill a fish. Well, in the prior scene... not real. It's so confusing. I don't know why this scene exists. Well, in the prior scene... I didn't talk about it because it didn't feel important until this scene. Yeah. Uh, we see Lantioc hunting geese. Oh, yes. He does kill a goose. <laughs> yeah. Which I found that this is another trope. Hunting for sport is a shorthand, I am evil. Yeah. Very true. Because uh, what is the establishing shot for Gaston in Beauty and the Beast? Uh, uh, he, he's hunting he, something. Yeah. He shoots a goose. Yeah. And uh, as the goose falls, LeFou tries to catch it, mm-hmm. and it lands like six inches to his right. Right. That's his establishing character moment of sucking. Mm-hmm. So, tropes on tropes on tropes on tropes. Yes. So, Marie Joseph hears the mermaid, joins the mermaid underwater, and the mermaid is... This is when you really notice how bad the CGI is yeah. for the mermaid. 
Uh, they would have been better off doing nothing at all. The, the first time I saw The Mermaid, the animation of it reminded me of a shark's tail. Remember a shark's <laughs> tail? That, all right, so hopefully that, for our listeners, kind of establishes something. They also do this every time, which I think is pretty good. But, like, it's one of those things where once you notice it, it kind of feels like they're hitting you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. Every time she goes swimming, she's in a nightgown. Yes. So it looks like she's a mermaid. Yeah, and it's also the nightgown, it... Nightgowns are a very heavily used symbol and trope in fairy tales and mm-hmm. Wendy Darling. Uh, it's always that white night shift too. Mm-hmm. Clara from the Nutcracker. It's kind of this girlish, pure. Um, it's not supposed to be sexual in any way. Right. It is maidenhood essentially. So she's always in this white night shift. And it also gives her a very ethereal look underwater, mm-hmm. kind of angelic. Yes, mermaid-like. Uh, so it, it also kind of leads into that. I think it's funny because fortunately the garments of the time are so thick that it doesn't turn into like a spring break wet t-shirt contest. Mm-hmm. So she communes with the mermaid and then Eve's finds her, pulls her out of the water and goes like, look, that mermaid's tail is sharp enough to cut stone. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not made of stone. And he's kind of holding her and he's like, so you aren't. And so they, there's a, there's more chemistry between her and the CGI mermaid. Than, than these two. Than her and Eve's. Which is funny because um, these actors are married in real life. Really? Yes. Uh, the mermaid? No. Uh... <laughs> Marie Joseph and Eves are married in real because I had to look up who played Eves because mm. it was driving me nuts and I, it's the it's uh, Benjamin Walker who is best known as uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter <laughs> for you anyway I wasn't ready for that that, um, that noise that's who you know him best as yeah some of our fans including me know him best as playing the title role in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. The emo musical about Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, is that emo Andrew Jackson? Yep. You have to legally tell me if you're emo Andrew Jackson. Uh, I'm so, going to kind of go through this next part quickly, I guess. Sure. Because there's not a whole lot here. We have, like, the courting scene of them kind of on horses, kind of falling in love with each other. Yep. Eve's and, what's her name, Marie? Marie Joseph. Marie Joseph. Uh, And this is where we find out why he's imprisoned, why he needs this pardon, because something that happened with his dad. Do you remember what this is? Uh, So what happens is, it's something with the Duke's father. The Duke's father, yes. He was a merchant sailor, and their cargo got, like, destroyed yes. in a storm, and the Duke assumed that he had stolen it. Yes. And so he was going up for stealing all of this cargo. Yes. From the Duke's father, which is why he and the Duke kind of personally don't like each other. This is what leads to the insane lie. Shame, isn't it? When lies obscure the truth. Uh, I can't get over how dumb that line is. 
Like, it's just trying to sound smarter than you really are. Yes. Uh, In short, they end up flirting, riding horses quickly. She crashes into a tree like a cartoon character. Well, the hunting's actually in this scene. Yeah, this is where the hunting's at. Because the gunshot goes off. Yeah. Startles her, not the horse, Mm -hmm. which usually would startle the horse, but she looks back behind her and doesn't see the tree branch. Yeah, she hits a tree branch, falls Breaks her arm. Like, badly. And then, boom, we cut to her, like... Being carried back by Eves. Yeah, and then, boom, we're back in her room. And the doctor's like, yeah, that arm's broken. We need to amputate it. (laughs) It is 1684. Uh, The bone will not heal itself, and Father de la Chair tries to defend her and says, like, surely we can wait until morning for this. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the king enters and sits on her bed and touches her wounded arms. And uh, they, they just kind of have this moment. And the king and the priest overrule the doctor and say, like, we can wait until tomorrow morning. Yes. This doctor's like, she'll be dead, but fine. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's infected, but whatever. You're the king. And I can't she, say no to you. She clearly, that's a dead like, girl. She clearly has a fever and stuff, yeah. too. Like, she's not doing well. Mm-hmm. And so Eves is in the underground cavern and he rage throws a knife at a rock. Mm. And the mermaid's all pretty and glowy and we have Avatar at home. Yeah. And he goes and Magali is uh, tending to Marie Joseph as Eves knocks on the window. And Magali's like, let me guess, the fish talks to you too. (laughs) And they take her to the mermaid and Marie-Joseph is magically healed. Yeah, they... they <laughs> so the mermaid really does have healing powers. <laughs> they are holding her in... Eves is holding her in his arms. And he says something like, The mermaid, it'll help you. And I was like, are they going to just yeet her into the pool? And then we cut to underwater, and then her body just drops in. I was like, he 100% just threw her into the pool yeet. with a broken arm. <laughs> Like, it's weird that she's a woman who can swim in the 1600s, but injured with a fever and swimming seems kind of difficult. Well, at some point she says, like, I can breathe underwater when I'm with her. Oh, does she say that? Yes. Oh, I missed that. Uh, She gets thrown in the water, and the way that she gets healed is a yellow glow appears around where the uh, mermaid swims. And I'm like, oh, she's peeing. Yeah, it's just her peeing. You immediately yell that she's peeing in the she's pool. She's peeing. And then that fix her arm. <laughs> yes. So Marie-Joseph, the next morning, gushes to the king about how the mermaid is so great. And it's wonderful that you brought her here for everyone. And you'll let her go, right? Once she heals all of France. And we find out that, no, the sun king brought him, brought the mermaid for her and her alone. Mm-hmm. And then we see her and Eves walking through the gardens again, and they find the Temple of Love, which canonically is not built until Marie Antoinette's reign, like fifty years later. Oh, and they t- they want the mermaid. They want to be with the mermaid, and they both want to be out to sea. He's a sailor. She's mermaid Moana, <laughs> and the mermaid is the mermaid, and they're clearly attracted to each other. And then I have a. 
and he says like the temple of love was built in honor of a woman unnamed and we see a statue of the woman and it's clearly the woman from the fountain louise marie joseph's mother mm-hmm. why is this criminal essentially allowed to be constantly alone with the king's favorite person i don't know after she's already been nearly mortally injured under his watch <laughs> that's a great point he should have been decapitated <laughs> Like, the idea that he has no consequences mm-hmm. for this, like, it's shocking that yeah. she that he's just allowed. She kisses him. Mm-hmm. Yay for them. And then we get a scene of the Duke at, wants to ask King Louis for something. King Louis for something. Yes. And King Louis is like, no, no, no. First, I must ask something of you. I must ask that you accept my daughter, Marie Joseph's hand in marriage. And Lantiac, who was a crush on Marie Joseph, was like, uh, Oh, yeah. Rat. Well, you kind of get the impression. Rat. <laughs> Dope. Uh, <laughs> Dopeth. Yeah. And you kind of get the impression that that was what he was going to ask for. Yeah. So when Louis like beats him to the punch and is like, Yo, you want my daughter? He's like, oh, I was really prepared to make a case, but like... Uh, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I really want to point this out. Okay. This scene happened so fast. Yes. It's just like, hey, I have something to ask you. King's like, I got something to ask you. Why don't you marry my daughter? And he's like, oh, I'd love that. Then they cut to later in the same room, and it's the king talking to the priest. And I was like, okay, a bunch of crap got cut here. Yes. Because clearly that scene was supposed to be longer. And there's supposed to be a scene in between these two to establish time passing. So it doesn't look like the Duke teleported away and was replaced with the priest. So to me, this is showing that there's like a lot of stuff cut out of this film. Like, I feel like this film was supposed to be two and a half hours long, and they got it down to 99 minutes. So, Marie Joseph wants to go speak to Father Chair, uh, but the king has demanded her attention. Mm -hmm. And he gives her something. And it's her mother's locket with her mother's portrait therein. Mm -hmm. And she's thrilled to get this. She's like, Mommy. Yeah, this looks like all those statues I saw. Because she's an orphan and has had nothing of her parents this Mm -hmm. whole time. And... He informs her of her parentage mm-hmm. and then immediately demands that she must marry Lantiac and she refuses and he tells her, you don't have to agree, you have to obey. Obey. So then she runs and slow-mo cries out of the room <laughs> and it looks like if you've ever seen this, the gif from Broad City. Yeah. It looks exactly like that. But and again, I want to talk about how quickly this all happens. It's, yes. This scene is literally like, here's this lovely uh, necklace. Ooh, it's got a picture of your mother in it. Ooh, that's the only woman I've ever loved. What? Yeah, that's right. You're my daughter. Really? Yeah, I've loved you all my life. Oh, that's why I need you to marry this duke. What? We're yeah, poor. France is freaking broke. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> this is a lot to put on me. I thought I was just here to plagiarize a mermaid. <laughs> So, uh, my next note, the doctor looks too much like, uh, the doctor looks too much like Lantiac. Uh, and Marie Joseph confides in Father de la Chair. And I actually make a note here of Father de la Chair 
is good. He's always good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really... It's one of the things that this movie does that's interesting is usually in especially young adult fiction, uh, Priest is evil. Priest yeah. is always evil. Mm-hmm. So for them to actually make him good... Yeah. And make him stand up for what he actually believes and that he actually believes in Christianity instead of mm-hmm. using it as a tool or a vehicle... I think it's actually a really interesting choice because you don't you don't see that much. Not a lot of good priests. The the trope of evil priest is really really common, so that you see very few mm-hmm. like men of God who are actually men of God. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really it's a real choice, and it's a strong choice for this film. So the mermaid is calling out that night for Marie Joseph, and there is a guard posted outside of her room. Mm-hmm. So she climbs out the window to get to her friend and jumps under the water to rendezvous with Bestie. Mm-hmm. And then we have the king arriving into their lab. Yeah. To, it kind of looks like the lab from Morbius, let's be real. True. And he goes to see Doctor and Father Chair. Mm-hmm. And the doctor... or. Father Chair is like, I don't think this is right. You're playing God. And Louis mocks the priest with God, asking that God strike him down if he's doing something wrong. Yes. And And then it doesn't happen. So it's like, so it's God's will. Which is a scene from Moral Oral. Yeah. (laughs) Where it's just like, I want to steal this. If I shouldn't, give me a sign, God. No. God says it's okay for me to steal this. And it's, it is kind of great to see someone using God as a weapon that's not a priest in a film. <laughs> so then we, we kind of get this moment where the priest resigns the blinged out cross and throws it to the ground. Mm-hmm. I guess the idea that it is a false idol. Yeah. And we do see him later with a simple wooden cross. Yeah. Kind of re- reconnecting to the r- roots of humility. Mm-hmm. And so Marie-Joseph goes to him and prays with him. Yes. As a completely anachronistic pop song plays. Yes, which is very weird. We, we should also mention that when she went to see the mermaid earlier, it turned out that they were drift compatible. And she was able to see the mermaid's memories. Yes. So that's when she learns that, she ha- that the mermaid has a partner and a baby. Yeah, there's a baby. Yeah. That was yeah. my reaction to but Literally, my note says she had baby. <laughs> so Eves and his first mate go into the room where the scientists were and steal the plans. And he tells his buddy he needs to make a diversion. Mm-hmm. And the first mate's diversion is he just punches the guard. <laughs> he headbutts him. Yeah, it's crazy. He's just like, wham! And I was like, this dude, there's so much of this dude on the, the cutting room floor. Easily. If this is his characterization in this scene. This is also the guy who told the Barracuda story. It's just like, all right, diversion, no problem. Whoa-pow! <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's legitimately kind of like, it, it's kind of just funny. Mm-hmm. Eves get arre- gets arrested and slides the... Pl- but we find out when Marie Joseph re-arrives to her room, he gets arrested only after he has slid the plans for what they're going to do to the mermaid under Marie Joseph's door. Yeah. And she returns from her liaison with the mermaid 
to discover these plans, and she is big mad. She big mad. The next morning, she goes full Motley crew in the lo- lobby. Like, what they did to a hotel room, she does to a bunch of instruments. Yeah, she's just whacking stuff and being pissed. And then she tells her dad to shut up. Mm-hmm. And he's angry, and then she convinces Father Chair to let her speak to the mermaid and begs him, forget what's proper and do what's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she has been told by her father, today is your wedding. Go get dressed. Yeah. Because the wedding is during also the during the eclipse. Eclipses don't last that long, dude. <laughs> like, all right, during the eclipse, I'd like to make this man a duke. And I'd like to to have my daughter marry him. And I'd like to do the murdering of a mermaid ceremony. Uh, I'd like to get a quick eight holes of golf in as well. I think that would be cool during the eclipse to do and that. And I would like to watch the entire series of Bob's Burgers. Yes, let's have some Bob's Burgers. And uh, well, let's make let's make a meal out of it as well. Let's, you know, let's order some. Let's order, let's order some burgers. We'll make yes. a theme party. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll theme door, wedding. We'll door dash it. The horses will get here with plenty of time, I'm sure. So, she's wearing a black dress at this point, And the priest says, like, look, my reasons may look different than yours, but the mermaid must escape. He lets her out and kind of points out, like, by the way, you don't look like you're heading to a wedding. Mm-hmm. And so she runs back to her room and has an emotional moment with her friend who acts the hell out of this. Because this is clearly her big acting moment. Yeah. And she reemerges in a white and pink dress, clearly meant to evoke wedding. It is beside the point that white d- wedding dresses were not common until the Victorian era in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she approaches the priest and says, this is a kiss I always thought I'd give to my father. And gives him a tender kiss on the cheek. Yeah. And... Okay. <laughs> She goes to the underground lagoon in her full white dress, again white, and argues with Eves, and he kicks out his sailor friends and goes like, get the boats. Y'all yeah. bring the car around. Yeah, we're getting out of here. And they make out as her disappearance is discovered. Mm-hmm. So as everyone comes into the underground lagoon, the doctor and a bunch of goons, one of the goons shoots Eve, who falls into the water. Uh, there's also a shaky bridge. Okay, this is important that we've seen this lagoon many times. Yes. It turns out right above this lagoon is an entire Ninja Warrior obstacle course. (laughs) Like, there's a shaky bridge, and there's, like, a water wheel, and, like, things to swing on. Like, all this stuff was just out of frame every time we've been here, so we can have this huge, insane fight scene. Yes. We have this fight scene that I don't a hundred percent understand what happens here, but is it the doctor or the Duke that he's fighting? It's the doctor. It's the doctor. The Duke is getting ready for his wedding. That makes sense. The Duke is not really privy to anything going on with this mermaid bit. Gotcha. So Eves and the doctor have a fight. And a gun goes off between them. Mm-hmm. And then they both kind of like make faces to imply that they weren't the one who was shot. Like, Mah-huh. oh yeah, well, Mah-huh. and then they both kind of make confused faces and then they both fall into the water. 
But only Eves has been injured. Yeah, it turns out Eves was the one that was shot. Luckily, there's a magic mermaid in there. <laughs> Who we hear go, Eve, 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 Eve. Oh. I didn't, I didn't even catch that. So then the doctor threatens Marie-Joseph, who thinks quickly, and tangles him up in the water wheel. Yes. So he gets slowly dragged underwater and drowned. I'd like to say, it gets tangled in this water wheel, and he's like, ah, this is around my foot. And then officially, eventually it starts to drag him. And then you see him kind of like hanging on to the side of a rock as he's being pulled underwater. You don't see him drown. But here's the thing about water wheels. They continue to spin. So one would imagine if it drug him underwater, it would eventually drag him out of the water. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't see him drown. <laughs> so I was like, we have no idea. And, and then it just cuts away. And I was like, we have no idea what happened to that man. It cuts away so that we can see the mermaid free willy herself out of the tank. Yes. <laughs> Maria Joseph says, see you there, God willing, to literally no one because the mermaid is already gone. (laughs) The mermaid is gone. Perhaps it was the guy being, who came up from the water wheel. (gasps) So she rides away on horseback, mysteriously dry. (laughs) Yes. King Louis is informed of her escape and Lantiac is like standing there kicking it for his wedding. Like, dip, dip, dip. Oh, good day. And as this happens, the priest removes his, like, royal shawl. Yes. Because he's like, there's not going to be a wedding today. Yeah, I figured it out. Well, he already knew. He was just playing the part. Mm-hmm. So, Marie Joseph uh, leads a chase to the cliff, sees Eve's men's ships, and uh, the king and his king's guard approach her. And she threatens to jump because she believes in positive thinking. Yeah, my body would be dashed upon these rocks. Which is my next note in all caps. <laughs> uh, Eves is okay. Yeah, Eves. He was... just kind of like sputters up and is like, I'm good. Because <laughs> the mermaid healed him. So Marie Joseph gives King Louis the ultimatum that the eclipse is happening right now. If the mermaid saves you and you kill her, I will die. Or you let the mermaid live because she has to save me. Mm-hmm. And then... And then she jumps. Yeah, so her body will be dashed upon the rocks and, and it need is. to be saved. She hits that... She hits hard. Yeah. Ostensibly, she dies. So let me just recap the plan here. Yes. The plan is, I'm going to hurl my body off of this during the eclipse... If you kill the mermaid during the eclipse, you're condemning me to death. Yeah. Because the mermaid won't be there to save me. So you'll have your immortality, but I'll be dead. Yeah. Okay. One, if she gets saved by the mermaid, there's nothing stopping them of being like, it's still the eclipse. You're dead. Two, is the ceremony... Required to retrieving the immortality of a mermaid, stand on a cliff and have your men shoot her from a distance? Yeah, no, that does not make any sense. Because she needed to be, she very specifically needed to be alive earlier. Because literally, there's a part where some random guard is like, I have a clean shot, your highness. Yeah. 
And I was like, if this random guy shoots a mermaid... With a gun gun. In the dark... In the dark Because the sun has been blotted out from the eclipse, how does that make the king immortal? (laughs) And there's not really any distinction of why this has to be the eclipse. Like, we know she can heal people, but we really don't get any reason. We're just told, like, you have to kill a mermaid during an eclipse to to get her immortality. Yeah. But, like, there's no explanation of, like, how it should be done. Like, you could do this moral choice where, like, he's about to, like, stab the mermaid with, like, a ceremonial dagger that you need. Yeah. And they rush in with the broken body of his daughter, like... She needs to be saved right now or she's dead. Yeah. And the eclipse is ending. But this whole, like, no, sniper from a distance so I may have my immortality is beyond stupid. Yeah. So the king tells him to stand down. The mermaid heals Marie-Joseph. And Louis confesses to the priest who forgives him. And says, you've always been a good king. Now you are a good man. And we then see hear a weirdly contemporary pop song as Marie Joseph sails away with Eves and then dives into the sea sometime later to be greeted by Mermaid Bestie. Uh, also, I want to point out at this point, Marie Joseph's dress has a clear mermaid silhouette. Yes. And the mermaid lets Marie Joseph ride on her back uh, to go to Atlantis, what we're guessing is Atlantis. Yes, could be Rapture. But I'm pretty sure it's It looks like Casita from Encanto, made with Rapture. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, we get the end is just the beginning. Yeah, King's Daughter 2. As the song Breathe by Sia plays. (laughs) Sia and her Razzie films, eh? Yep. So uh, that's The King's Daughter. Yeah. It was made in 2014. Uh, there were a lot of... This is actually very uh, weirdly politically fraught film to Oh, release. interesting. So there was a lot of investment from uh, China for this film. Mm-hmm. The Mermaid is played by uh, Bing Bing Fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's hard to tell. There's a person under all of that CGI. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but then there was a major scandal with the actress. Oh. And the Chinese government. Oh. Uh, she disappeared for a few months. Oh, goodness. Uh, reportedly during an investigation into her tax affairs. Oh, God. So she offered a public apology over her tax evasion. And she was fined more than her net worth for this. Oh, my God. Really? So in that time, she had fallen from grace. So... The Chinese government was not really as willing to heavily promote a film mm-hmm. uh, with her in it. Because this is uh, one of those things of like, they no longer really wanted mm-hmm. to push a movie with her because tax evasion was seen as a major crime. And so when she kind of fell from grace in that way, uh, she was no longer being, I was mm-hmm. going to say being pushed, uh, like this was wrestling. Mm-hmm. So they also wanted to redo some of the CGI because the CGI looked low rent. Looked even for, bad. Even for the mid-2010s. Like, this is two years after Avengers. Yeah. 
And it was trying to fall into this young adult fantasy. Uh, but this unfortunately was also right when young adult dystopia was bigger. Young adult fantasy was like the mid 2000s into like 2010. Yeah. And this is really getting into that like 2010s, mid 2010s era of fantasy is out, dystopia is in. Yeah. This movie was kind of a throwback even in its time. Yeah, like this would, if it came out in 2014, that would be like Maze Runner Divergent yes. era, right? In fact, um, funny you should mention Maze Runner because the actress who plays Teresa in Maze Runner, Kaya Scodelario, is the actress who plays Marie Joseph. Oh, wow. She would have had quite the mediocre year. You know the Maze Runner movies did really well, right? Did they? Uh, they made all three. That's true. They Unlike Divergent. And the third one was even uh, popular with the significant delays. Hmm. Uh, because Maze Runner had to delay its third installment uh, because of what happened to... Oh, God. What's his name? Uh, Dylan O'Brien. Okay. I was going to call him Styles because... I think about him as... But Death Cure did not come out until 2018 Hmm. and still did fairly well, considering better than a lot of these movies tend to do in their last installment. You know, Maze Runner's been on my radar for a while. I might need to just sit down and watch them because they are murder game shows. Yes. Which is my favorite genre of film. (laughs) Uh, That being said, I, I have a question for you. Okay. Uh... I think we are in agreement, mm-hmm. not to steal your thunder or anything, that this really doesn't feel like a Razzie movie. No, this feels like it was, because of the production delays, it feels like it was low-hanging fruit. Yeah. This is not one of the worst, like, this was not that bad. We, we were, like, I can't believe we watched this over Hello, Darling. Or, Don't Worry, Darling. Don't Worry, Darling. Or, uh... 365 days over two. Like, when those were on the table for this to get nominated is very suspicious. Yes, Uh, I agree. So I was very surprised by that. But I do want to ask, if this had come out in 2014, what were the Razzie movies then? And I'm curious if we think this movie would have fit in better with those Razzie films. So that would have been the 35th Golden Raspberry Awards. Okay. And it would have been up against Saving Christmas. Oh, Kirk the Cameron Kirk Cameron Saving, Saving Christmas? Christmas. Ooh. Left Behind. Oh, I remember this year now. <laughs> the Legend of Hercules. Yep. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtles and Transformers, Transformers. Age of Extinction. Yes, this is. I was still watching the Razzie movies uh, during this year, but you were not yes. watching it with me. And that was the year that I watched all of them except for Saving Christmas. And we went to an FYE and made them order it for us. No, that's not what happened. I ordered it for you and gave it to you as a gift. (laughs) I had to special order it. And I gave it to you on Thanksgiving. We have a tradition in our household. Mm. And that on Thanksgiving, we give each other Christmas-themed gifts. It's something my family's done my whole life. I'm aware it's weird. But I gave you Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas as a Thanksgiving gift. Yes. Uh, I will say that 
this movie is better than all of those films. This movie is a solid C. It, yeah, like... It's I, mediocre, not bad. I could... If somebody said, oh my God, I really love this movie, I would be like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, I don't think it's that good, but I could see, like, why someone's like, I like mermaids. And I think this is fun and it's a lovely... Like, I could see a 13-year-old girl saying this was their favorite movie, and that would be fine. Yeah. Uh... It's just, it's not for me. And on top of that, like, I think I could have a good time with friends ripping this apart. Yeah. But, like, its biggest flaw is that the characters are all stock tropes instead of having interesting quirks about them. It it feels like a Twilight era. Yeah, because I was just like, is there anything interesting about any of these people? No. No. No, I mean... The princess is such a stock. I'm not like other girls princess. Yeah, I think the princess trope is the thing that really bothers me these days. Mm -hmm. Because I think we're so far beyond living in a world where it is a girl's fantasy to be a princess and just have her life fixed. Because I feel like as a society women kind of being trapped in that way of being like, the only way I'm out of here is if I'm magically a princess isn't as prevalent as a daydream. I mean, the multi-billion dollar profit machine selling Disney princess merch begs to differ. Right, but I feel like today's Disney princesses all accomplish things on their own. Yes. Uh, This is the era of Disney princess who... They have their own objectives. Uh, it's the this current post. I want to say, I, I would say this started in 2010 with Tiana would mm-hmm. be the first one yeah. I think is that era. A full four years before the King's Daughter. Yeah, I don't think any little girls are running around these days saying my favorite Disney princess is Cinderella. Is kind of what I'm trying to say. Okay. That like things suck, then magic, then things are good. I I think most people are not interested in that being their story anymore. Okay. That that's just my my feeling. Not to speak for all the women of the world right yeah, now. Yeah, I was about to say you but, you telling me what you think little girls want is super interesting. No, it's just it seems to me that like one day my prince will come is no longer what people are dating. I mean, about. I really don't think that's what they're trying to I don't think that's what they're trying to do with Marie Joseph. She's no. never really rescued she's never really rescued but she's in a situation with the nuns and her only way out is that she happens to be the king's daughter she would have never been in that position in the first place had she not been the king's daughter she would have grown up with her family yeah i guess that's true i guess that's true as well she's in that position because she's born into being a princess as well i I should also mention that how much i hate the title of this movie i know that was the title of the book it was not it was not no what was the title of the book? Because this is a terror... Like, this... The title of this movie told me nothing. I certainly did not expect Mermaid when we hit play. No, I, I did not... I didn't think about mermaids either. I, I wouldn't... It's from a 1997 novel called The Moon and the Sun. That's not... I bet that title makes a lot of sense for the book. Yes. Everybody <laughs> is considerably more complicated in the book. It's a book. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I understand that it probably doesn't make sense. I mean, that's kind of perfect. Like, in the book, everything is complicated, and there's metaphors about the sun king. And, and the, the union moon. between the moon and the sun. Yeah. I'm... I cannot find this book, unfortunately. Um, but, like, the idea that this has just been boiled down to, she's the king's daughter, really says a lot about what they did with this film. She also was not sent to a convent. Uh, she was a lady-in-waiting to the king's niece. All right. Interesting. And instead of a mermaid, it's an endangered sea monster. Oh, a little bit more shape. Oh, no, it is a mermaid. It's... I, I'm reading the Wikipedia summary because it's all I can really find for it. Right. Because uh, the book is quite out of print. And uh, Marie-Joseph is instead uh, related to Eves. And she falls in love with a different noble. So, like, oh. Lucien and Eves are um, kind of broken down into one character. Oh, uh, okay. And he is no longer her brother. He is now... Uh, the sailor is taking over... Count Lucian's role. Interesting. So what's your verdict for this guy? It's a stay tuned. It's fine. Really? I I think it's unfair that it's a Razzie movie. I just don't feel like it's bad enough. I'm, I definitely think it shouldn't be a Razzie movie. It's still a stay doomed for me because it ends on a sequel hook and it's not like I'm sitting here like, they should make that. No, they shouldn't. <laughs> they should not make a sequel with these... Terrible CGI mermaids in Atlantis with these characters that I don't care anything about. It, like, this isn't the worst thing in the world. It did nothing to justify there being more of it. No. So for me, it's a stay doomed. That's fair. We have different reasonings for mm-hmm. it. Uh, I kind of just think it's unfair as a Razzie movie. Like, I, yeah, I definitely think it's unfair for a Razzie movie. We could have been watching. D- don't worry, darling, damn it. Yes. And now we'll never see it. No, because we will never get around to watching it. Never get around to watching it. So we only got one left. We'll watch it next week. We're watching Blonde. It should be very interesting. I'm, like, already mad. We might have to... There might be a delay for that one. Because the first recording of it will probably be unusable. Because Lars is going to be mad. (laughs) We're going to watch this one at, like, 1.25 speed. (laughs) It's three hours long. I already hate it. (laughs) It's based on a. It's based on a board game. It's based on a book. Uh, for some reason, I heard you say board game. <laughs> it's based on a book written by Joyce Carol Oates, my nemesis. Hey, I'm just gonna slide in here and say, uh, if you want to be a patron <laughs> to uh, us and help support the show here in Stay Doom Studios, uh, Patreon.com/slash/plus2comedy. Uh, also, big thank you goes out to Matthew for being a super cool patron. Where can people find us? You can email us at staydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at staydoomed. And if you are a mermaid that peed in the pool, I am at plus2comedy on Twitter. If you want to make fun of Noah for thinking he's more aware of princess and teenage girl tropes than he is, I'm a priorities. Until next time, stay doomed. <laughs>